Hi, this is Dave Coulier, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Okay, let's rewind. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Rick Gutierrez. I was a very small kid, so I got older. So I grew up like, I think, during the summer between 8th and ninth grade, I grew like 6 inches, man. Yeah. 6 inches. And all those guys that you try to beat me up, I went back for blood, bro. I went back for my pound of flesh. Huh. So uh, I became a bully a little bit in, in ninth grade. Rick is a stand-up comedian from San Antonio, Texas, where my brother-in-law and his family live. We talk about that, oddly, and some other things about uh, growing up in South Texas and bullies and comedy and all sorts of things like that. We have a song of the week coming up from some... Uh, we have a song of the week coming up from some... The song of the week is coming up from Sundara Karma. If I can even say that properly, Sundara Karma. And I think you're really going to enjoy that. That's uh, doing really well over in the UK right now. And we have a dumb bit, a professional dumb bit, if you will, from Laurie Kilmartin. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Laurie Kilmartin, who is a very funny stand-up comedian and a writer for the Conan program over there on TBS. And I forgot, I did mention that her uh, her new CD was out, 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad, which I think I um, mistakenly called a book. For some reason, I uh, slipped up the tongue there and uh, misidentified the medium there. But anyway, um, came out in 2017, and I reached out to Matt Belknap over there at a Special Thing Records. You may also know him as the producer of Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo. And I said, hey, can we play a track from Lori's album on the show? He said, sure, please, go ahead. So we're going to do that now. I'm uh, going to play a track, the second track from the album. It's called The Wrong Parent Died First. I think this really kind of captures the essence of the whole album. Very, very funny stuff from Lori Kilmartin. Uh, you're really going to enjoy this. This is Lori Kilmartin, uh, The Wrong Parent Died First. It's a, it's a track from her album, 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad, available everywhere you find your comedy, uh, iTunes, uh, all that. Enjoy. So um, it, is, it is tough to lose a parent. Uh, it's even tougher if you were hoping to lose the other parent first. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> my mom is a pistol. <laughs> and that that's what you want to put in your mouth when she talks to you. <laughs> a loaded pistol. Uh, I'm not the only one who uh, feels that way. My dad's last words to me were, ha ha, she's your problem now. (laughs) And then he ascended to heaven like a conquistador. (laughs) That reminds me, guys, if if there's any... um, uh, if it, there's any joke here tonight that's too rough, uh, I, I want you to know uh, that you have my, uh, my feminist permission to stare at my boobs <laughs> until you feel better. Uh, they're pretty big. People seem to enjoy them. I don't even... I do a disservice by calling them boobs. This is a bosom. <laughs> it's a, this is matriarchal. This is comforting, so... If there's any time where you like cringe a little, you just mentally put your head right between lefty and righty and <laughs> let them go. <laughs> They're very comforting. Um, I, you know, I, I, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm glad my, my dad, I, I take comfort in the fact that he died doing what he did best, growing tumors. <laughs> 
it was a skill he learned late in life, guys, but boy, he turned into a world-class master. It was pretty, pretty amazing, you know? Even the last week of his life, he was like, more! I was like, Dad, relax, calm down, Dad. <laughs> his work ethic is just so inspiring to me. That's, uh... <laughs> My friend goes, oh, I get it. It's like you're roasting your dad. And I was like, yeah, poor choice of words. He was cremated. Um, I, uh, my mom and my sister and I each have a bit of his ashes. And I was keeping his ashes in a vase on the mantle. And then we had an earthquake. And the mantle shook and the vase fell. So now I keep his ashes in the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Don't, it's not disrespectful. I, I went out and got a special vacuum cleaner. I'm like, stay there. <laughs> Don't move, Dad. I'm getting you a Dyson right now. This, this Kirby is not worthy of you. <laughs> I'm getting cyclone technology. <laughs> No, I actually have some right here. I, I have this little ring. It's a clatter ring, and it, in the heart you can put ashes. So I keep them here. It, it, this helps me keep close to my dad, having the ashes right here. I like it. It also helps me get out of a lot of hand jobs. <laughs> Guys are like, what's that? I'm like, that's my dad. <laughs> Where did it go? What am I squeezing? Now... Admittedly, it could be my hand job technique is also getting me out of some of the hand jobs. The old squeeze and release. It's, uh, it's what I'm known for. But uh, right there, we'll, we'll stop that one right now. <laughs> that joke stops abruptly. Two minutes. <clears throat> um... It's so strange that you can keep ashes and no one thinks it's weird. I mean, that is a physical piece of your loved one is their ashes. You know, you can wear them, you can keep them. It's totally acceptable. But bones, <laughs> not acceptable. <laughs> I don't know why. It seems like it would be the coolest thing in the world to have your loved one's bones. I'd love to wear bones. Why do we let murderers have all the fun? I'd love to wear a neck around my neck. A neck necklace, how meta is that? <laughs> People will be like, that is so pretty. And you could be like, thank you, it belonged to my grandmother. Gutierrez is a stand-up comedian from San Antonio, Texas. He works a lot with Gabe Iglesias, and uh, you may have seen both of them touring together around the country in theaters and clubs across these United States. Here now is your interview with Rick Gutierrez. So, uh, I see from your, uh, when I dialed the phone, it says that you are, uh, that you are from San Antonio originally, is that correct? Yes, sir. Born and raised a Texas boy. My uh, my brother-in-law and his family live there, and uh, Air Force related. No, he is the curator of fishes at SeaWorld. Oh no, kidding? Yeah. 
Oh, that's a great job, dude. Just don't work in the, the, the killer world tank. Yeah, well... You're not too fun of traders, man. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he, he's not keen. He's uh, He told me once if, you know, they're having all that trouble with all the bad publicity and stuff, and he said, you know what? If this ever goes, you know, this ever turns out badly goes, I'm not going to be going into any more marine biology jobs because it's just too hard to keep animals alive. He, he fancies opening up one of those shops where he fixes people's phones that break their screens because he's very handy that way. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's going to be a new fad, man. Right now I need my screen taken care of, There you go, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know a couple people that do that now. Yeah, that, the one guy I used to work with, you know, he, he was so confident. He was an Apple tester, he said. Carry his phone around all willy nilly with no case, no nothing. He goes, "If I break it, I'll just fix it myself." I'm like, "Man, you are, you are Carl Willinda nice. with, you are Carl Willinda with that phone, man." <laughs> you're gonna sit a tight wire and make some money. Yeah, that's the problem, man. So, were you funny growing up, and people said you should be on a stage somewhere? Or did you always follow comedy and wanted to do comedy? How did how that all come together? It's you know, growing up, man, I was not the funny kid. I always tell people, man, being funny is about hiding behind the humor, you know? I had the greatest childhood, man, but it was, you know, we just tore, we did things, and I found out that being funny, you know, gets a lot of attention. And it's, it's great, too, man, I mean, because, you know, you're just a crazy little kid that walks around and everybody laughs at you, you know? And it's great, uh, you know, when you you know, people don't like you or you're a bully, you can make him laugh, or at least make him look like an asshole for a while. Yeah. You know, but uh, but you better be a good athlete because I, I ran a lot. I was a very small kid growing up. I wasn't. So I grew up like, I think during the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I grew like six inches, man. Yeah. Six inches. And all those guys that you said to beat me up, I went back for blood, bro. I went back for my pound of flesh. Huh. So uh, I became a bully a little bit in, in ninth grade. Oh, <laughs> but really? For the most part. Huh? Oh, my gosh. So a, a, a bully. Did you use humor or your fists or both? It depends on how big the guy was. Oh, I see. <laughs> I mean, come on. So it's like, you know, it's not so much bullying people. It's just like, you know, I got picked on a lot. You know, and it's like, you know, you have that year that you actually are a little bit at least the same size or taller than them. And it's like, okay, the table will change. I'm not bullying people as much as it was defending myself, you know? Yeah. I was a tall, lanky kid, man, at the time. And I was a geek. I played band. I played two-brain band and trombone. And, uh, you know, I was in choir and drama. Anything that was that was artistic, I was great at, you know. But when it came to academics, I sucked. Math, English, I'll kiss my ass. I could do any other stuff, that. you know. But I, I did what I could, and then uh, around tenth grade, I dropped out of school, joined the army. Uh, you know, one of the best moves I ever made, and uh, spent about eight years there, man, working operations intelligence and working in defense artillery and stuff like that, man. Straight out my life, it really did. You know, it was a nice little trip. You know, the, the side trip that I took, but, you know, I gained so much from joining the military. The first time I ever listened to comedy, ever, I was probably about 10 years old, and my neighbor had bought this album, these two albums. And uh, he told my brother, he wants to come over. Of course, like a little brother, I wasn't supposed to be there, but I tagged along, and, you know, there was these 12 guys that were older than me, and, uh, you know, they had two, they had, uh, two tall boys, Schmidt's beer. I don't know if you can remember that. Oh, yeah. And uh, remember Schmitz? It was like, yeah. it tasted like uh, burnt rubber uh-huh. and uh, tar. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I listened to this album. It was called George Carlin, Seven Dirty Words, and Richard Pryor. And, uh, and that was the first time I heard comedy. I go, you know what? I want to do that. That's when I started learning how to not only, you know, use my words to defend myself, but, you know, using humor. 
the hype and, and, uh, and, and just be funny. So that was, that could be, that was the first time I realized I could be that fun. So you, there was no other vocational uh, options to, in your mind at, at that point. It was pretty much set. With being an athlete or accountancy or anything like that wasn't on the table. Hell no, dude! I wasn't an athlete. I tried playing baseball one time and I hit the batter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, man, I'm not. You know, there's no, there was no. My brother was the athlete. Okay. He played football and baseball, and you know, he played, you know, all these other things. Or he, it's like, you know, it's like, you want to go see your brother play baseball? No, man. Of people with joy, I can do that. You know, but it was like, you know, all these times that I'm growing up, you know, I was never really happy. I didn't stand out other than when it came to be creative, like in band or, like I said, drama. Okay. You know, and it's, you know, that's, that's what I was, you know, was going to be. You know, like I said, academics just wasn't my thing, man. You know, and it's, you know, since I've been to college and I rather work really hard, and to this day, I can't stand fractions. I hate freaking fractions. And right now, if you told me to add up a type of fashion, I'd say, go screw yourself. Hmm. And so when did you realize that uh, comedy might be the vocation? <coughs> or when did you try it, I guess, as, as a vocation? When did you, like, go up in front of an audience and, and, and give it a... You know, I was 29 the first time I did it. I'd, oh, wow. So I'd kind of been married, and I had kids. Okay. And I put it off, you know. I put it all off, and, you know, I was devoted to this woman, and I love my kids. But there was always something missing, you know. I, I started doing it back in the early 80s, you know, and, and uh, close like the, the late night 80s and going to the 90s. And I was, uh, I was old. I was, you know, 29, and I was looking at Caroline Comedy Hour and all these, these cable uh, shows they had on comedy. And I was like, dude, you know what? I can do that, man. And it just, it, it, it was an itch. It was like, dude, I could do that. I could do that. And then one day, around 30, I actually went on stage, man. I, I, I saw this open mic. And I went up on stage and I did, you know, I did Ronald Reagan impressions and I, I talked about dogs, you know, stupid stuff. Yeah. But the guy I on top of his, his friend of mine, or the guy that became a friend of mine, my mentor, he told me, he goes, you got something. Because I don't know what it is, but you got something, man. You're not afraid of the state. So I kept on going back and going back and got better and better. I mean, you know, not like a, a, a professional stage, like, you know, you know, the comedy house or anything like that. It was a... The Wild Turkey Saloon on the south side of town. The biggest redneck bar huh. I'd ever seen. And I'm Mexican, man. Yeah. <laughs> and these people wouldn't have it. They're like, you know, we turn off the pool tables. Hey, I want my 50 cents back. Like, mm-hmm. dude, come out of the copy. I'll give a damn about a copy. Like, okay. Rough crowd, rough crowd. You know, and you know, they're drinking Lone Star. And it's, I could, I could actually make them laugh. And, I, you know, and I just kept on working on it. And six months later, I, I got my first professional stage was, at the uh, River Center Comedy Club. And we're performing with this, this, this group called Culture Clash, which is the first variety show uh, of Mexicans, these three Mexican guys, on uh, Fox TV. And, and it was called Culture Clash. They, I, that was the first show that I worked on with them. And they stopped getting grants, they got finished show. And they invited me to do my first gig on TV. And that was my first time I, uh, I did a professional, stage, or a professional TV show about six months later, man. And I was hooked. It was like a drug. I couldn't stop. I was looking at the shares at part of the time as a jury bailiff. And um, and I became the house MC of the River Center Comedy Club for four years. And one day I quit. So I'm doing this forever. And of course, my uh, sister, ex-wife, she got pretty pissed off, man. Really? I, I got to admit, she was pretty pissed off. Oh, wow. And uh, I was really happy with it all. 
But, you know, I started making, uh, started becoming an MC. And then I did that for about six months and they made me a headliner. And I've been doing that ever since for 26 years. Wow. So, uh, having some experience, life experience under your belt, do you think that that kind of uh, eventually would inform your comedy now? Because, you know, you, you do a lot of, uh, you know, family experience, either current stuff that you're going through or recalling from when you were a kid. Do you think starting that late kind of pushed you in that direction, or do you think you would have ended up there anyway, even if you started when you were 20 and we're talking about partying and stuff? Dude, I, you know, I tell everybody, man, it's like, you know, you're not going to be a real comic to you know, what have you done? What you accomplished by the time you're 20 or 25? You're partying, talking about pot and dope, yep. watching TV, playing video games. Yeah. But when you get to the real stuff is when you start, you have a breakup and, you know, you start looking at family members like you've never seen them before. You know, a bunch of, you know, idiots or, you know, they're great to you and you get married and you can, you can start talking about things that make you mad about the relationship and you find them relatable to everybody else and you have kids and they drive you crazy and, you know, you know, I'm not, I was at the point of view when I was growing up and, and how easy they have it now. I'm sure that's been going on since the, the turn of time. You know, there was a caveman, you know, his kids got older and they were throwing around spears. Look at him, man. When I was growing up, we threw rocks at, you know, food and now they're throwing sticks. Kind of idiots are those guys, you know. And so that's what makes it work for me. You know, I always translated to, you know, how I did it. And I'm doing it now, you know. And that's why, you know, my show, on Netflix is called I'm Not Mad, I'm Just a Parent, because you have to deal with them, you know? What we think is stupid now, you know, I'm pretty sure our parents thought it was stupid when we were growing up. And when they get older, what are you going to tell the kids, you know? It's like, it's getting less and less, you know? Like, you know, when I had cable, you know, TV on every channel, they got a thousand channels, you know? Yeah. You know, they have Xbox, and they have all these things available to them. And not only that, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I had, you know, when I was growing up, we had encyclopedias. That was our internet. You know? Yeah. And the library, that was our internet. And now they have, you know, the internet, you know, they have the internet and everything's at, the, at their fingertips. And it's like, I tell, I tell every kid, I go, you have it easier than you've ever had it before. You don't have to go look for information library. It's right there at your fingertips. And they still can't use it right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're watching porn and video games. That's what they do with that. Yeah. It's funny to do that. And even older folks, you know, our age and, you know, between our kids and our age are like, people won't refuse to look things up when it's so easy. Yes. It's right there. I have a shirt that says, don't ask me shit, Google it. There you go. Why are you asking me? Dude, I, I have no experience with the internet. It's not my friend. I still, I still write with uh, pencil and paper. You know, people look at me like I'm a dinosaur. But it's like, but that's how I grew up. That's what I know. Yeah. You know, it's you know, writing cursive. That's something that'll teach everybody. As a matter of fact, my analogy to that is when the Vietnam War broke out. You know, they they built these planes with no uh, no way for these people to shoot like uh, a gun. Yeah. You know, other planes use bullets. They only had missiles. And then the other planes, the MiGs, are shooting down our planes using bullets. Yeah. So now that's when we invented top guns. So you could teach them how to shoot them down. It's like same thing. Yeah, because it sounds good, doesn't it? Is man? Yep. And that's how my lunacy works. I, I tell people, I just look at things for what they are. You know, and when you agree with me or don't agree with me, like you know, I like the Constitution. You know, is being eroded. Freedom of speech. You should you should say anything you want without any reprisals. If you like it or not, that's what America was built on. I've been to Clarence and heard them say 
the most horrible things. Oh, yeah. But on the other side of that, on the other side of that fence, there's people who don't agree. And they will scream what they don't agree, and it becomes a path between two sides that don't agree and somewhere in the middle you find common ground. And right? Yeah, and it's better to let those people expose themselves instead of all of a sudden waking up one day <laughs> with a with a with a uh, with a cross on your lawn. You know, if these people speak up, you know who they are, then you know what to look out for. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean look, it doesn't mean anything to me. What you say to me, I'm you know, like they they, they say they pick up words like, you know, the word nigger or nigga, N I D G A or N I D G R or N C C A. You know, it's like that's that's the word they use, like the word around. You know, you know, whether you're white, black, or brown, that's just the word. You know, and it's now becoming one of those words where people are picking when they can and who can use it. But it's in every song. It's in everything we do every day. You know, we're, we're talking about issues in America. We're talking about doing law. I'm not, you know, you know, I get stopped by cops all the time. And I tell them, man, I tell black people, you're lucky. You know, you don't have to get away from cops. I got to get away from cops and border patrol, man. You know how that is? I don't speak Spanish, dude. So it's even harder for me, man. You know, so it's like we, 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 we pick and choose our constitution, you know, depending on what group is pissed off at that time. This thing is not that made that way. You should have the right to say what you want, whether it's bad or whether it's good. If you don't like it, then don't agree with it. If you do like it, and it's something bad, then you agree about what you think. At least that's how I feel. Yeah. I'm 54. I've been around for a while. Oh, then you're a little older than me. Huh? You're just a little bit older than me. Most most of the guys and gals I interview are way younger than me, but you're actually uh, a few years older than me, by about two years. Right? Yeah. Isn't that different? Yeah. <laughs> well, one, and well, one, once, you, I was gonna say, once you get a certain age, keep your chat, you know? Oh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't care about the bullshit anymore. Yes. I'm tired of it. Totally. I'm tired of it. It's like, I grew up through the time where, you know, it's like we, we played outside. Yep. We didn't care who was around. We're just freaking kids, man. You know, it's like that's that's just the way it was. And now nobody plays outside. We have video games and these things that occupy, you know, your mind with nothing more than what you should be doing outside. I saw that my guest played hide and go seek on the internet with five other friends. Huh. It astounded me. It just it, I go, What are you doing? Because I'm playing hide and go seek and on the internet, you just Go outside, you fat little bastard! Jesus. <laughs> well, it'll to make you feel. It makes you feel any better. My thirteen-year-old uh, was into making videos and stuff and playing on her computer, but now she spends most of her time in her room drawing, and she's gotten really, really good in the past year. Now she goes on the internet to get instructions on how to draw things, but she mostly is doing with paper, pen, markers. We bought her these expensive pencils because we figured she was taking it seriously, and she has. So she's doing it old school. This is, isn't with a computer, although she's going to get interested in that, I'm sure, at some point. It's all it's all being done by hand. So there's hope, I guess. No, look, you as a parent, and, and me as a parent, my kids, my daughter's going to be a talent. You know, she's going to the Native American University in San Antonio. My son went to Texas State University. And, you know, and, and you know, we drive them in that direction, all this crap about these people telling you how to raise your kids and you can't spank them and you can't do this. Stop. They're not your kids. You can't, you can't tell me what to do in my house because you don't know my kid. Sometimes I need to be spanked. Sometimes I need to be spanked harshly. 
Yeah. I'm not a negotiator. My dad was a negotiator. <laughs> Either you did it or you got it. You got punished. Either you did it or you got grounded. Either you did it or you had things taken away. That's part of life for real. When you get a job, you don't do your job, you get fired. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what's the difference? I'm only preparing that for life. But the millennials, everything has to be. Oh my God. Why am I? You talk to me wrong. How come you did that? Oh, shut up. Throw some balls, man. Exactly. Um, well, great, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I got a lot of good stuff for the piece for Minneapolis. Hopefully, we can get you here to Cincinnati sometime soon as well. And uh, have you ever been? I know your buddy Gabe has been here before, but have, uh, have to you been Cincinnati? Yeah. Yeah, I used to do go bananas, man. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll remind you. A long time. I've been here a long time, but go bananas. And, you know, it's like I said, man, you know, and if anybody wants to hit me up, yeah. uh, go to com. It's got all my social media. Yep. Uh, like I said, you know, my Netflix special is amazing. It's funny. Uh, the show I'm doing now has none of the content that's in that show. Okay. And also, man, I'm also on a, a, a show with Gateway Blakes called Flunky's Food Adventures. Yeah. On uh, on Fuse TV and also uh, Puppy Break Season, the first two series we did is on Hulu. Okay. So I, I tell people to go check it out. Awesome. That's fun. We, we will mention all that in the show notes. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, remind the booker at uh, our club here about you. And um, and hopefully, we'll, like I said, hopefully we'll see you uh, in, in this neck of the woods uh, soon. What neck of the woods are you in? Cincinnati. Oh, that's right. You just told me. Look at See? That's the other part of the you know. I know, right? I can't remember crap. Okay. I can't remember anything, man. Same. But no, I'll be in, I'll be in Bloomington and I'll be at in the Edmonton. So. Okay, great. It should, well, it should be a whole lot of fun. Yes. All right, man. We'll continue to success, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, it was a great interview. Thank you so All much, right. man. Thanks, Rick. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Rick Gutierrez for being on the show. You can catch Rick in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, July 12th through the 16th. Then he goes to Rick Bronson's other club there in Bloomington, Minnesota, July 19th through the 23rd. And then he's in Dallas, July 28th and 29th. And then in West Nyack, New York at Levity Live, August 3rd through the 6th. For all his other dates, just go to funnyrick.com. Easy enough. All right, so going to cut things a little short this week on my way to fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada with my lovely wife. So we're going to go right to the song of the week here. It's Sundara Karma. Uh, This is a new, well, I would say a brand new band, but they're an indie band uh, from uh, Reading, Berkshire, England. And uh, they have released three EPs so far. This is their first full album. It came out back in January, and they've been releasing uh, singles from it steadily. Uh, the new single is called Explore. They've been playing a lot on Radio 1, which is, of course, where I heard it. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this as well. They fit right in with um, with uh, a 1975 of Vaccines. A two-door cinema club they remind me a lot of as well. So uh, let me know what you think. Uh, email the show and whatnot. Find us on Facebook. Uh, I'm at uh, PF66 on Twitter. In the meantime, this is our song of the week, Sundara Karma with Explore, PF's tape recorder. So long and thanks for listening. (laughs) 